Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Faith in the Real World. I am Graham Zima. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We're going to be doing a little bit of a different format on today's show. This is going to be a best of edition, which means we're going to be looking at some of our personal favorite clips of the past year of doing this program. So different conversations and questions that have come up throughout doing this show. So we hope that you enjoy that. Our regular format will return in about two weeks, so stay on the lookout for that as well. And if you want more information regarding St. John's Lutheran Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, log on to stjohnsmpls.org. That's stjohnsmpls.org. And without further ado, we hope you enjoy this best of episode of Faith in the Real World. One of the things that's helpful about the existence of churches, not the structures and buildings and the religiosity of it, but the community that gathers that's the beauty of the church. Right. Right. And it's the strength of the church. And it's where the church has also failed for decades in that it became about the buildings, the structures, the hierarchy, the power and control. And when it gets away from all that, which COVID forced us to do, and you peel back what became the superficial sod, right? And you pull back and you see what the beautiful earth underneath that is you realize it's all people and relationships. And the only commodity a church has to broker is relationships. Sure. And that is, I think, one of the reasons that there is so much loneliness in the world today is be simply because the church has dropped the ball. And I was part of that. And it wasn't until really driving for Uber and Lyft and you'd hear the unbelievable loneliness and how people are just so sad and broken and they have nowhere to go to tell and talk through. They don't have communities because yes, they have communities and yes, they have teams and they have families with soccer teams and they all create these beautiful little uh, microcosms of relational uh, re- relationships of adult parents and those kinds of things. But it, it doesn't have what the people were longing for is that connection on a spiritual level. They just didn't and don't provide those things. And I think that going forward, coming out of this pandemic, I am trying to be much more intentional about listening to the needs of the world, the real needs that are out there. And I know that loneliness is one of them because I keep hearing it from members of the church and non-members of the church alike. And I'm keenly aware that the way, the only salve for loneliness is making sure that somebody else that day got heard, right? valued, listened, and seen. And so my brain is trying to ask that question of how do we do that? And so at St. John's, uh, we've got you. You're helping us tell the stories. You're helping us try to get the St. John's story out in the world from all aspects. Who is the staff? Who are the members? What are we trying to accomplish in the world? Uh, who is this dorky Pastor Mark that wears the same clothes that the media marketing guy does. I know. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not the power of this congregation. It's the people who are in the pews. They are the ones with these unbelievably gifts, unbelievable gifts, talents, and abilities. And they're out in the world working for the government and, and school districts and all over the place. We've got people from all different places. And we thought we were an older congregation, but it turns out I just did the search today. Just told you that. We have yeah. 28 people at 10 years and younger in this congregation. 28 of them. Builds, it's a solid foundation for the future. That's for sure. For sure. And what's important is in this loneliness theme, 
is that the youth of this church, I have failed. And I don't know how to fix that other than bringing on this new staff person we hired yesterday, Edith. Edith and her ability to do cross-generational ministries just organically. She'll start with us on Easter Sunday morning. And she is just a sweetheart of a, of a woman. And she is going, she's brilliant uh, in the way that she can come up with ideas that will affect our oldest members and our youngest members at the exact same time and put them at, a, at a one table to, to start a conversation in cross-generational ministry. That's the kind of connectivity that a church can do because we are multi-generational all the time. And it's one of the only places that we can go where we are cross-generational with several generations present at the same time. We are really segmented as a population. And I think that Edith is key to that. And I can't wait for that to start because we've got to make sure that our young children aren't lonely, that they are seen, valued as the church of today, not just the future, because they are the future, right. but they're also the church now. They are the face of this congregation. They can help with the food stuff. They can help with the housing insecurity stuff in whatever ways they can, just as much as I can. And it is so... I'm so hope filled with all of that because I think that there is purpose and reason for churches still to exist. There is still that uh, loneliness thing that we can get after and seek out and change. Um, But above all, there's a whole lot of inclusive love that needs to be spread into the world. So one of the one of the disciplines we've really focused on in uh, this project is what's called asset based community development. Okay, and uh, really what that means is we look at our neighborhoods for what's strong, not what's wrong. Ah. So instead of focusing on issues or deficiencies, which is often how we'll look at a neighborhood, right? right. We talk about homelessness, we talk about food insecurity. Instead, we want to say, how do we look at our neighborhood as the network of gifts and strengths present in each and every neighbor? Wow. And and how do we then as the church step into and participate in what God is already doing in the lives of our neighbors, lift that up, be a part of lifting that up to contribute to the common good yeah. so that our neighborhood is, is being developed collectively, co-creatively, and not in this kind of transactional relationship where I think sometimes churches can get caught thinking of themselves as... Um, service providers or charitable organizations, right? For sure. And what happens though, is then we are always kind of thinking of our neighbors as their deficiencies. What are the needs that we need to serve? Um, And I think what that does is it closes us off in some ways to the abundance of gifts and strengths and um, creativity and capacity that are present in our neighbor, yeah, uh, in our neighbors, that are already there, already there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do we there. tap into those strengths? Exactly. Um, how how do we how does a congregation identify or learn even what mm-hmm. are the assets that our neighbors might have? A specific, yeah. time, like you've, right next door, we have this beautiful yellow house. Yeah, seeing a woman living there with her daughter. Yep. If our whole congregation suddenly descends on Natasha, <laughs> she's going to be like, whoa. Yes, right? absolutely. So how do we identify what gifts, strengths, assets are existing mm-hmm. in our neighborhood without the congregation really overwhelming? Yeah. 
whether yeah. we're a little tiny congregation mm-hmm. or big. Yep, absolutely. Are there uh, strategies and or tools that you guys equip the congregation to do the kind of thing? Hundred percent. Yeah, okay. I think uh, the kind of the base for uh, asset based community development. I would say this is true for community organizing as well. Yeah, is our relational one to ones. Oh, so it's one person to one person, right? And they're different than some of the conversations we usually have, which tend to be a little more fifty fifty, like the conversation we're having now, right? Yeah. Um, one to ones are where you know maybe I'm speaking 20% of the time, my neighbor's speaking 80% of the time, and I'm asking some questions, um, trying to get at things like their self interest. Hmm. What are the things that they're passionate about? What are the things that um, you know give them energy? What are the things that keep them up at night? Yeah. You're starting to just get folks to tell some stories, share a bit about their lives, and you're paying attention then in those conversations for where am I hearing passions and gifts and strengths. One of my favorite questions, and we um, 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 have all of our participants include this in their one-to-ones, is what is something you know how to do well enough that you could teach someone else? Oh, that's a great question. It's a great question. And then you'll get all these answers. And the, and the trick is, is, is to realize that every, everybody's gift is worthy and has value and can contribute to the common good this is one of my favorite questions to do in a children's sermon. Oh, cause all of a sudden you start to see that kids can be empowered and encouraged to be co-creators and contribute to the common good. Oh one of the uh, last times I did this, a kid was talking about, you know, I could teach someone how to tie shoes, you know? Oh, wow. And I just, I just imagine like Love a kid that. in the neighborhood teaching another kid how to tie shoes, right? That's that awesome. contributes to the common good. Right on. No doubt about it. Right. So we're, you, so the faith practices and neighboring practices, a Christian community goes into the neighborhood. We're yep. not asking them, tell me your thoughts on Jesus. Exactly. And we're nope. not asking the question of, well, now what spiritual gift with which are you equipped? Yep. Exactly. We are asking are you good at tying shoes? Yeah. I mean, we're, I mean, you a good cook there, you know, yeah. you a good cook. Do you know how to, uh, are you good at organizing? Yeah. Good at organizing. Are you good at, are you a carpenter? Changing you know? brakes in a car. Yep, exactly. We had one of our congregations in crystal. Um, I love this story. So I tell it all the time. They did three months of summer listening. And so, the, so they held these barbecues once a month, uh, over the summer. And uh, a couple of the older guys in the congregation just happened to bring, they um, uh, uh, refurbish, or I, I, for, I forget all the lingo, but they keep classic cars. You know, they do wow. this kind of classic car stuff. Yeah. And so they brought their classic cars just to kind of show one another, hey, this is my car, this is my car. Um, but it was those cars, suddenly three high school students saw those cars and came out from the apartment complex across the street. And it start, really? sparked this whole conversation where these kids were saying, oh, we love cars. We want to start this YouTube channel about Ferraris and Audis because we love these fast cars. And <laughs> here they're awesome. talking to these two old guys who love cars, right? And are talking about that. A- each month after that, more and more classic cars started to show up because these two guys kept calling their friends and saying, you should bring our cars over. And by the third month, there must have been almost over 15 cars in this parking lot. Is that right? It was incredible. Yeah. And one of the neighbors even, uh, I think that third month, one of the neighbors suddenly kind of drove out from behind the apartment complex with this classic John Deere tractor. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Just happened to have one, just drove it off. And you know, and we're like, this is somebody's passion. Somebody's excited about this. And when they share that, it brings people together. It creates a context where you get to connect, create a sense of belonging. Um, and then you start to find, you know, what are some ways that we can co-create something together that's going to make this neighborhood a better place. 
we want to know where do you see God in the world or where do you see the absence of God in the world? That is to say, where, where is it that you see injustice being done? Where is it that you see um, that, that the, a message of hope is being craved? That's where the church needs to be. And the church needs to recognize, I think, and I might be alone on this. Well, I'm not alone on this. I, I'm not sure amongst all Christian churches this would be shared, what I'm about to say. But the church cannot be the center of the societal norms. The church is called to the fringes. If you look at where, where Jesus did his ministry and with whom Jesus did his ministry when he was doing his ministry, he was with the marginalized he was with the outcasts, the untouchables, people that the world saw as absolutely worthless, throwaway people. And he went specifically to them and touched their hands, touched their heads, blessed them. We imagine that he, he, he kissed cheeks. He, you know, it's a remarkable thing that Jesus goes and he is with those who the world says, eh, they don't matter. And the, the intentional people that our society rules out, those are the ones that Jesus values the most. And that's where the church needs to be. And so I think we got to be quiet. We need to listen. And then we need to be bold and go into those places in the nooks and crannies of the world that are covered in um, shame, filth. And we got to be there and shine light there. And I think if we do that authentically, and if the world sees us as people of God in the world with those who the world has cast off, and that we're doing this not for some, I don't know, church growth movement, but in fact, because we believe that's what God is calling us to do. And if we do that with that authenticity and some humility, I think no matter what the age is, from the, the, gen, the builder generation all the way down to Gen Z. I think that the, that's how we can re-engage with the world, honestly. Sure. And, you know, you brought up a lot of different points there. And, and I there's a multiple different, you know, avenues we could go with this conversation. But the first thing I want to do is actually back up. And I should have asked this at the beginning. But how did that fracture begin between younger generations and the church like when, what was that time period and what were the decisions that were made or or instances that led to this divide that we're now seeing between um you know organized religion in general and you know the generation z and and, and millennials yeah I, well first of all so i think right around sec right after the second world war you've got this big spike in people coming and belonging to a congregation and the society as a norm as a whole saw loyalty to institutions as a strong communal value. And so you had people, um, and I think that comes out of, um, you know, just the, the horrors of that second world war um, and what coming together as a nation felt like was a good thing, and then we built these beautiful institutions that would that did great things. But over time, the institution of the church got fat and happy, lazy, arrogant, 
and really judgy, right? And so there's these sins of the church that just sort of, hmm. So then in the 1950s, 60s, things start to erode. There's the, what they call that, um, the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s, right? And then you get a whole bunch of anti-institutional movement stuff. In the 1970s, you saw a whole bunch of movement because of the Vietnam War, a whole bunch of movement against government, against um, authority, at period, right? Uh, police, military, whatever. It just really starts to root in there. And then the church's response to those moments of injustice, we were, you, you didn't hear a lot of what, what did, what, what was the church saying here? Um, and and what, when, I mean, when I say that, what I mean is the church has the responsibility of humbly trying to discern what is God saying here, right? And that's a big task. It's a big task. And there have been so many times when the church really got that wrong, right? And so 60s, 70s, 80s was a really time of crazy town, right? Economic boom. You've got all kinds of things happening and people and um, church lost its hold on certain things. Schools had release time, right? When I was in uh, middle school and high school, school and when I was in middle school or junior high, we called it, we were let out of elementary and junior high. We were let out um, on Wednesdays at like two o'clock, because we all went to church for release time. The public schools dropped it, and then we all went. In high school, on Tuesday mornings, school started late because we all had high school youth group Tuesday morning. All of that disappears. Then you've got sports and other things where they not impede or encroach on church time, though that's true, but they start those teams what become such a demand on people's time they start forming communities soccer moms becomes a thing right hockey dads becomes a thing and those dads and moms are sitting in bleachers and they start to form whole communities there and so the necessity of church becoming a secondary family is gone and so it was it's been a long eroding but there are some people now saying well maybe that's not so bad because maybe the church can finally speak with some humility and with authenticity about major issues. The, the question is, is anybody willing to hear it from the church? So you're of that generation now, the Gen Zers, right? Or uh, young millennial. And what do you think of where should the church be speaking with some sense of prophetic voice? Where and how should the church function in society it's a huge question so and you could look at it from a lot of different perspectives i think you've kind of alluded to it already where it's you have to i mean for example take you know going back to 2020 with the george floyd protesting like getting active in those types of situations you know getting more involved in pretty much all kind of social justice situations i think would be a, a very good first step because that way you're sort of breaking down this narrative that's been built up where, you know, churches and, and religion in general, they do all this talk on Sundays about this is how we're going to make the world a better place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then when situations actually arise, they're nowhere to be found. I mean, think about 
you know, I don't want to call anybody out here, but I guess we can. You know, the, the the instance when the hurricanes happened, I believe it was in Texas or whatever, and Joel Osteen got a lot of, you know, criticism for basically closing off his churches that could have been a, a sanctuary for a lot of people during that time. That's one instance, but we've seen it in many other situations where, once again, when push comes to shove, religion, people of faith seem to be nowhere. And so I think that's an important first step. I, I think... You know, it goes back to, again, the the need to recognize that change needs to be had in general because, like you kind of said, you know, our church is trying to move into, I, I think I can confidently say we're trying to move into the next, the new era, yes. you know, and trying to get with the times. Yeah. But there are countless other churches, even probably within our area and beyond, that there's pushback on that. They want to keep things the way that they are because it's familiar. Right. And it's because it's the way it's always been in tradition. But as we've seen in other industries and other, you know, you know, other aspects of life, things are always changing. Things are always evolving. And you have to kind of be either ahead of the curve or, you know, get with it. Um, or you can, unfortunately, get lost. So, I don't know. It's, I think, like I said, the, the first step is the social justice aspect. Um, and that's, that's born from the desire to, to make a difference and, and really... Put, you know, your money, I guess, where your mouth is. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's one way to put it. So, um, and I'm sure as time goes on, I'll probably have a more, I don't know, more in-depth answer. But I think that's a good starting point. Yeah, I think so too. And one of the wrinkles in all of this is that, like, we are a part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA. Right. And there's there are officially in the book something like 62 different varieties of Lutherans just in North America. I mean, it's crazy, right? It's it's Fractureville. Um, that's another topic for another day. But I, as the ELCA, one of the things that we can be very proud of, for example, is that we've got these organizations. Um, LIRS is Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services. And that's an international pan-Lutheran deal that helps Anyone of any faith background or non-believers whatsoever, whenever they are immigrants or refugees. And so that organization has been in the Ukraine since the, in the very first shot was fired. They were there. Lutheran disaster, Lutheran disaster response was all over Houston, Texas. And they were on the ground there while the storm was blowing. Um, and so there's these things, and the, the church does, they're absolutely fantastic, my lament is that because the church has had such a history of not responding well or not telling the story well, now we don't have anybody to hear it. Well, exactly. And that's right. I was actually just about to say that. I think sometimes it's not a, a, a question of whether or not the church is doing something. It's there's A, nobody there to tell that story. Right. I mean, obviously, I've come into this position here for that exact reason because this church is doing a lot of work around the community and beyond. Right, exactly. But then B, like you said, maybe there's nobody to listen as well. So it's, yeah, like... And then how do you fix that? How right? do you fix, yeah. Because I'm preaching literally to the choir here. Yeah. And we've got this really plucky, progressive congregation here in South Minneapolis that they really want to get out in the world because that they know and are convinced that God in Christ Jesus is out in the world, out there. And they want to shine light on where they think God is working and they want to be at the fringes great but it's you folks that we want to share that story with and we would we we want very much 
for more people to be a part of that. Not just to become a member of this congregation, though that would be great, but that's not what we do in this for. We are doing this because God is in the world and we're, we're, we're chasing where God is going. And it's amazing work. And we're only maybe 60-some people on a given Sunday. On the other hand, we've got a long reach because we believe God has given us resources to be used in the world to affect people's lives for the better, whether they're Christians or not. And so we just need a bigger audience. If, if we do this, if the church does grow, that'd be great. But if we grow, it's only because God is sending people here so that we can have still a longer reach. Right. Right. And that's, I'm not interested in growing numbers just to be, so I can brag to my colleagues. Yeah. Oh, we've got 12 new members. Or what, you see no. that a lot though. It's, oh yeah. It's, it's a numbers the, game. It's, it's an old game. way of churches thinking of the metrics, yep. right? It becomes and not and interested. And you start to fall in. I mean, obviously a church is a business, but you never want to go around treating it like that or proclaiming that to everybody else. You know, you, you handle your business, but you don't have to go around, like you said, bragging about the numbers or all that stuff. I mean, that's just, what good does that do at the Like I said, it just, it, it fuels a person's ego and that's really about it, you yep. know? Well, uh, yes, there are though, there are certain metrics that I, as a pastor, on the business side of this, I've got to watch, right? I've got to make sure that I can pay the staff. We've got to sure, make sure, sure that we're not running a debt and we're, we've got to do all those things. But the only real, like, there are churches that count how many active confirmed members that you have, right? That's a 1950s model of judging that because, you know, you're only an active member when you've communed and contributed of time or financially once in a given year. Well, that doesn't tell you anything. They show up at Christmas, they put an offering plate, something in the offering plate that makes them an active member. That's not an active member. No, yeah. So the only metric that I really use is, how big are we or how small are we? What's an appropriate reach for our ministry is how many butts are in the pew on a Sunday morning. And then kind of trying to gauge the age of that congregation so that we're not um, overburdening people's time, right? Because sure. the most important thing a person can give is time, which is really a gift of self. And when our congregation starts to get tired, we've got to back off and not push. Um, and if, for example, we used to do this ministry here called um, Community Meal, where we would put on an open meal to anybody in the community that could come in on a Saturday, and the number of volunteers just was getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So we were getting fewer and fewer people while we were still feeding the same number, 30 to 40 people that would come through the door. And I started to ask the questions, is this something that you enjoy doing? And to a person, they all said no. Well, you can't, you know, if, if you don't have vision, the uh, vision without, um, how does that go? Vision without something becomes task. I don't remember. But there's an old axiom that, that I used to use a lot, and I haven't talked about it for a number of years. If, if you don't have the inner pulse to do it, if you do not value that, it's absolute drudgery. And we just have to stop that. And when we stopped it, people were really lamenting because, well, how are these people going to be fed? And da, 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 da. But that, I said, well, we're going to stop this. But what else should we be doing? What, how, what we've got to serve. Well, that becomes the backpack program. So now we're feeding 20 families every Every, every two, three weeks from the Justice Page Middle School, 
backpacks set up filled with food, including fresh fruit, that are dietary specific. And those families over there have no idea that we as a church gave it to them. We, there's a need to be met and we met it. That's it. We do not need to put little tracts in there or little Bible verses or say, hey, this yeah. is from St. John's. Hope you show up on a Sunday. Nope. We do it simply because they had need, we had will, we met it. Done. This has been a best of episode of Faith in the Real World. Thank you for listening.